It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Stuart Vonney. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, May 25th, 2022, on Lisa Brady. The horrific attack on an elementary school in South Texas raises familiar questions about school security. We can't be protecting uh, all the time from these uh, these creatures that, that can loom from the swamp and commit these uh, horrendous acts. So I think what we need to be looking at is hardening the, the school perimeters. I'm Dave Anthony. A feared new surge of migrants to the border is still on hold, with a judge still preventing the Biden administration from lifting a Trump-era policy blocking some from entering the U.S., but many keep coming anyway. It's worse this year than it was last year. The numbers are significantly up compared to last year, and last year set the all-time record. So when fiscal year 2022 is done, we could be pushing upwards of well over 2 million illegal crossings. And I'm Guy Benson. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The unthinkable has happened again. A gunman opening fire in an elementary school, killing at least 18 children and a teacher in Uvalde, Texas, west of San Antonio. Robb Elementary is home to second, third and fourth graders, meaning around ages seven to nine. Hal Harrell is the school superintendent. My heart was broken today. We're a small community. And we will need your prayers to get us through this. The Texas Department of Public Safety says the suspect was 18 years old. Salvador Ramos, believed to have shot his own grandmother before going to the school. He was killed in a shootout with responding officers. I hoped when I became president, I would not have to do this again. Another massacre. President Biden was briefed about the shooting on his way back from Asia and spoke after arriving back at the White House, calling for turning pain into action by, as he puts it, standing up to the gun lobby. Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone? He ordered flags to fly at half-staff through Saturday at the White House, federal buildings and military posts. What? are we doing? Why are you here? Connecticut Democratic Senator Chris Murphy appealing to fellow lawmakers just hours after the Texas shooting. Just days after a shooter walked into a grocery store to gun down African-American patrons. We have another Sandy Hook on our hands. The mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School 10 years ago this December was in Murphy's district. We probably haven't learned. Bill Daly is a former FBI investigator. We spoke to him Tuesday evening, still early in the Texas investigation. I'm sorry to say that, you know, the the Sandy Hook incident, uh, as much as this may may turn out to parallel it in some some cases, um, it may have some differences. But the bottom line is, is that um, you know, a, an intruder was able to get into a, uh, a primary school uh, and murder young children. Uh, we do know in Sandy Hook uh, that the individual was actually let in because his mother had worked in the school and he was known to people in the school. And as much as they had security at the door, he was able to kind of talk his way in. In this case, we're not too sure what the security arrangements were. But again, an individual 
burst into an elementary school and kill these young treasures of ours uh, where they sat. So I think what we probably have not learned is uh, how to reinforce security around uh, our schools, in this case, our primary schools or more junior schools. Um, over the years, focus has been more on the uh, high schools and colleges, uh, where incidents in the past have taken place where students have come in themselves with weapons and committed these uh, these atrocities. Yeah, I mean, we have been making an effort to harden schools, to make schools harder targets. As you say, sometimes it's more at the high school level. So you think we should be doing more of that in more places? How do we do that? I do think we need to be doing it more places. Uh, we, we, you know, certainly we, we're looking for tripwires that are out there in the community uh, for individuals who may pose a risk to uh, to any groups of people, whether it happened to be a, you know, a religious group or another social group or an ethnic group or a school. However, we can't be protecting uh, all the time from these uh, these creatures that, that can loom from the swamp and commit these uh, horrendous acts. So I think what we need to be looking at is hardening the, the school perimeters. And I think it's, it's, it's time that we focus uh, that attention on being both kind of physical as well as the the school security officer programs that have been successful in other other places and other levels of education and look to employ those in the primary school level and the in the more junior school level. How do we find a balance? I mean, is it time for a metal detectors at every school? Should schools be like courthouses? Well, I think every situation is going to be different. So I think in some instances, you know, I've, I've worked on some programs in the inner cities where uh, they use metal detectors, um, and they have been doing that for a long time in, in major cities like New York City. Um, however, in more junior or or, or lower level uh, schools, or the primary schools, um, you know, probably not expecting at that point for children to be carrying weapons. It's maybe more so the threat from outside. So each one of these programs needs to be adjusted for uh, the kind of the the nuances of uh, the age group we're dealing with, the physical circumstances around. Uh, the building, the community you're in. But I I think the focus does need to be around both hardening targets, uh, education of both faculty and students as to what to do when an incident does, if it was to occur. Uh, But all those measures to really kind of prevent things from entering into that secure area. In fact, someone mentioned something on one of the talk programs about using some of the COVID money, which I thought was a great idea, some of the unspent COVID money uh, that's been already been released by the government uh, to provide you know, school safety uh, around COVID and apply it more towards these, I'd say, more kind of pragmatic elements around, you know, around school security that uh, we've just been speaking about. The Texas school shooting happened less than three weeks after the mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York. That's a suspected hate crime targeting black shoppers and workers. How do we prevent crime when it's driven by racism or by mental illness? I mean, that seems to be a tougher question. Yeah, that is a tougher question. And it's a, it's a very broad question, obviously, because it does cover everything from people who are just uh, emotionally deranged, uh, people filled with evil, uh, people who have various uh, levels of psych- psychiatric uh, issues affecting them. Um, I mean, we speak about those programs, let's say, away from the locations where the incidents take place, where there happens to be in Buffalo in the supermarket or in the Texas incident, a school. And we look to the broader community. Uh, there are quite a number of states that have uh, the red flag laws, which do allow 
uh, people from law enforcement or local government uh, agencies, as well as uh, health professionals uh, to intercede and to make sure somebody is flagged to prevent them from getting a weapon. So there are some measures in place. However, we found out there in the community, the broader community, is that there's been some reluctance, I, I feel, uh, both from uh, family members who may see somebody acting in an emotionally or psychologically uh, deranged way, uh, feel maybe they can handle it themselves. They don't want that person to be stigmatized. They don't want to call the authorities in. But we do need to make sure that people who are in such things as the mental health facilities are aware that they can you know, take these acts and not permanently, but temporarily keep this person away from any weapon that may cause them or others harm. As crime rates in general have been rising around the country, bail reform has been getting some of the blame, especially when it comes to repeat offenders. The gunman accused of killing a man on a New York City subway train who surrendered to police on Tuesday had been arrested many times before on charges including felony assault and attempted murder with a still open gun charge from two years ago. The violence on the Q train last Sunday morning was committed by another repeat offender who was given every leeway by the criminal justice system. We cannot and will not stand for it. NYPD Commissioner Keyshawn Sewell calling again for judges in New York State to be able to consider the level of danger in bail decisions. Some argue fewer prosecutions may also be fueling crime. And what about the Internet, where twisted ideologies can spread quickly? You know, I personally do think that it does affect uh, individuals have a propensity for for committing these uh, these horrendous acts, you know, whether it's something immediate or whether it's something that is in the back of their mind as they are going through some disjointed uh, efforts to carry out some evil plots that they have against either groups of individuals uh, or at religious locations or at schools. So I do think that it does sit in the back of their mind. I mean, it's, it's certainly a difficult balance between uh, the media covering these incidents from a news perspective and to uh, keep everyone informed, which is their their obligation as a news gathering and reporting organization. Um, and and those who may look to kind of uh, amplify that or, or or speak about it in some ways that in, in some some cases may actually give these these future perpetrators kind of a, a sense of uh, of uh, kind of engender a sense of, of emotional kind of a thrill out of it and, uh, and gather their uh, kind of feelings that they may get some garner some uh, magic attention to themselves, even if it is, uh, you know, post their their, their passing. So I, I do think that it does play a role where that balance is. Um, I don't really know. A tragedy like this Texas school shooting inevitably does reignite the debate about gun laws. What do you think could actually change anything in terms of preventing violence or even getting different sides of the gun debate on the same page? Yeah, it's always a very, a very sensitive issue and certainly one like to myself. I mean, I certainly support and, and, uh, and fully behind this, our Second Amendment. Uh, we don't know yet what uh, the incident in Texas may reveal with regard to uh, the weapons that were used, uh, how they were gained, were they legally, illegally how uh, this person came into possession of them. But I do think uh, as people who are leaders on uh, gun advocacy aside, you know, do need to address this concern from an emotional standpoint and realize that it's out there, that it is something that people are most concerned about. We'll look at, at most of the shootings that take place in, in our inner cities uh, where these incidents take place. 
you know, many times these weapons are not ones that are, um, uh, you know, that come through, you know, legal channels. Uh, they're ill-gotten, illegally gotten. Uh, people shouldn't have them to begin with, whether they, you know, are mentally competent or not. It doesn't matter. They just shouldn't have them. President Biden is expected to mark two years since the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis with an executive order that amounts to police reform because other proposals had stalled in Congress. He's expected, among other things, to require that federal law enforcement review use of force policies and revise them. Are you concerned that this could run the risk of putting too many limits on law enforcement? Or is this something that's needed in terms of restoring trust in law enforcement in certain communities to help get a better handle on crime? Well, I, I actually think that any further encumbrance on law enforcement from doing their jobs is just furthering the situation we just talked about with increased you know, crime rates. Certainly, obviously, from my background, I'm a full supporter of law enforcement. I realize that once in a while you may come across uh, you know, a, a bad egg and apple out there uh, who, who commit acts they shouldn't. Uh, but I would say for the most part is that, you know, our law enforcement agencies, you know, have policy procedures. Uh, they have things in place that I think are, are reasonable for the most part. I don't think that uh, kind of a wholesale kind of review of programs or trying to limit what's already out there that would prevent police from doing their jobs is, is a good thing by far. I think even the suggestion that they, they have programs out there that are in any way uh, potentially uh, pose a risk to the population. Uh, I think even that suggestion starts to, again, demean some of the police and their their position uh, and their ability to carry out their acts. I mean, there have been some limits as a, as, you know, as a result of uh, the George Floyd uh, incident uh, where, you know, police are very concerned about uh, wrestling people to the ground and using, you know, physical force because it may be something that they feel as though they themselves personally are going to be liable for. Um, as opposed to being covered by their acts as a police officer and perhaps the police department and the uh, and the local government backing them. So I think it's a very, very sensitive area. I think it's one that needs to be looked at very carefully. I, again, I don't think a, uh, a wholesale kind of review of these programs is good or the suggestion that what's already out there the police have is ill-conceived or, again, presents a, a risk to the public. I just think that does a um, kind of injustice both to the population and to the police who are trying to protect them. Former FBI investigator Bill Daly, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is Guy Benson with your Fox News commentary coming up. Another surge of migrants Republicans warn is coming is on hold for now with a federal judge blocking the Biden administration from ending Title 42, a Trump-era border policy that prevented migrants from entering the U.S. out of COVID concern. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas also expects that surge when the policy is eventually lifted and says they'll be ready for it, but... We will not implement policies of cruelty that disregard our asylum laws. Even with Title 42 in place, Border Patrol stopped nearly 235,000 migrants coming here illegally in April, the most in a month in over 20 years. And many 
were allowed into the U.S. Texas is one of the states that sued to keep Title 42 in place. GOP Governor Greg Abbott tells Fox... When President Trump was enforcing Title 42, people were not coming over the border. This is a problem that starts at the top with President Biden knowingly, purposefully allowing people to come in knowingly, violating the law. Fox correspondent Bill Malugin is at a front row seat to the surge. Nothing has changed since that federal ruling. All it did is it kept the status quo in place. We caught up with Bill near the border in Eagle Pass, Texas. In the immediate hours after that federal ruling, we saw large groups of illegal immigrants crossing into Eagle Pass, uh, openly broad daylight, wading across the Rio Grande, waving to our drone as it was watching them overhead, groups of 150, 120, 60. Uh, The illegal crossings did not slow down, and they're not going to slow down. Is it just that Border Patrol agents are overwhelmed? They just can't get everybody? Well, yeah, that's part of the problem is you have these big, massive groups coming over to turn themselves in, hundreds in size, and that requires a large Border Patrol response. They have to get agents out there to process them and do the paperwork and transport. And when that happens, agents are pulled off patrol elsewhere. They just don't have the manpower to handle it. So there are parts of the border that go unpatrolled when these big groups come across, and the cartels know that. So what they do is they send a couple hundred people over at once, knowing that Border Patrol is going to have to respond with a lot of their resources. It'll suck up their resources. And then elsewhere where the border opens up and there's no patrol, they will send drugs, criminals, and their high-value clientele. All right. So the ones who are going to go into custody, they're not worried about going to Border Patrol custody because it seems like, looking at the numbers, a lot of them are going to be allowed into the U.S. illegally anyway. Yeah, no, a lot of them, when we, we when they come over, they're smiling, they're giving us thumbs up, they're winking, you know, fist bumping, because they know uh, there's a very good chance they're going to be released into the United States. Just in April alone, DHS released 118,000 migrants into the country. They only removed 113,000. So this is the first time that I can remember that more people were released after crossing illegally than were removed. So uh, they know if they get here, they will very likely be released into the United States. Now, most of those who are not allowed in were not allowed in under the Title 42 policy with the COVID concern. I think it's 98,000 of the 113,000. It was because of Title 42. The concern is when we lift that, most of them would be allowed in. Is that the deal? Is that what would happen? Once Title 42 drops, which will happen someday, you can expect a big chunk of those expulsions to then flip to releases because Border Patrol holding facilities do not have the capacity to handle such an influx and they will have to be doing mass releases. So, yes, you'll see a big inverse flip. Instead of expulsions, they will turn to releases. The Biden administration has been saying that most single males coming across the border are not allowed in. Would that still be the case if they lift Title 42? Do you know? It used to be the case, but that stopped being the case for a while. I mean, we have seen, especially down in Brownsville, mass releases of hundreds of single adult men from federal custody uh, every single day, you know, every single day almost. They do Title 42 uh, single adults from certain countries, but it's it's hit or miss. To, like Venezuela, Cuba, Colombia, Nicaragua, none of them are Title 42'd. Mexicans are Title 42'd. Haitians are Title 42'd. It, all, it just kind of depends on what country they're coming from. But we have started seeing large, large, large numbers of single adult, single adult men being mass released from federal custody. We started seeing that back in January. So what is it about the countries like Cuba or Venezuela? They don't accept them back. Is that why? That's correct. Okay. Um, In some cases, Mexico won't let us 
expel them back into Mexico. They won't take them back. So it, again, it all just kind of depends on which country is which. So when Mexico won't take them back and their home country won't take them back, we have to release them here into the U.S. All right. Now, when it comes to another policy, there was the remain in Mexico policy that was under President Trump. The Biden administration grudgingly has that in place. Is that being enforced where they have to wait in Mexico, some of these asylum seekers for their hearings? It's really not. It's being enforced in such small numbers, you know, a couple a couple hundred people here and there. When you have 234,000 people crossing the border, it's less than a drop in the bucket. It is not having any meaningful impact on the border here. All right. The way they are enforcing it. Throughout this month-long migrant surge, Republicans have worried about terror suspects slipping into the country. Last month, Congressman Jim Jordan got into it with Alejandro Mayorkas. The Secretary of Homeland Security does not know the answer to the status of 42 individuals who came to our southern border illegally are on the no-fly list and the, uh, and the, no, uh, and the terrorist watch list. You do not, do not know if whether they have been released or not into the country. Uh, That's your testimony. Ranking member uh, Jordan, as I've said before, I will provide you the data. Now there are new questions. After a suspected terrorist from Colombia was allowed into the country illegally last month. His name is Isnardo Garcia Amado. On April 18th, he was released by Border Patrol into the U.S. near uh, Yuma, Arizona. After he crossed illegally, they let him go. And ICE gave him a uh, GPS monitoring device. Three days after they release him, the FBI identifies him as a suspected terrorist on the uh, terror watch list. They let ICE know in the Miami area because he had since moved to Florida. For some reason, it then took two weeks after that ID for ICE to get approval to go rearrest him in the state of Florida. It, it took two weeks for them to go get him. They did end up rearresting him in Pinellas County near the Tampa Bay area, uh, and he is back in ICE custody now. But uh, what appears to have happened is they released him without waiting for a federal check to come back on his background, and then they found out he was a hit on the terror watch list several days after he was released. And there's been no explanation as to why it took two weeks to go get him. I, I reached out to DHS and I asked, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did it take so long to go get him? All they would say, essentially in a comment, is once they learned derogatory information about this individual, they went out and promptly arrested him. And I think a lot of people would have questions about two weeks being prompt. Sure. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, of course, who's been very critical of uh, Biden policy at the border, is one of those who wants answers. The question also is, when they take someone across and they're processing these people, they don't check through all these screening centers first before putting, a, say, a monitor on them and sending them off? It sounds like it's hit or miss. Former ICE director Tom Homan said that, yeah, he's been in touch with Border Patrol agents who, you know, the administration has placed such an emphasis on process, process, process as fast as you can. So we avoid images of overcrowding that in some cases that, yes, they are releasing people before their checks come back. So that is obviously incredibly concerning. And that appears to be what potentially happened here in this incident. All right. Now, are migrants still being put on buses Like in Brownsville, I know we've talked about that in the past, and getting on and going and being taken to other parts of Texas, other parts of the U.S., flown places. Yes, that happens every single day all along the border nonstop. The hundreds are released to NGOs every day. They then get put on buses. They get taken to other cities. They get dropped off at airports. Um, that happens every day, and it has happened every day for as long as I can remember during this border crisis. And the people who are taken to these other places across America, 
they just have, what, a notice that they have to appear at some point in court someday? Some of them have what's called an NTA, a notice to appear, meaning they do have to, you know, go to a court date, usually years in the future. Uh, others are just simply paroled. When they're paroled, it means they have no immigration charge, no court date. They are free to go. They can even they're even eligible to apply for work permits. Um, and they the, the government paroled over 90,000 people in April. Um, so it, it just it just sort of depends on on the person and their case. So uh, now as we await Title 42 and the potential for more coming across, do you know, are people waiting across the border for this to happen? Yes, we've gone over to Mexican cities, Nuevo Laredo, Piedras Negras, and we've talked to migrants over there who told us that, yes, they are waiting. Their initial plan was on May 23rd, they were going to cross over when it was supposed to drop yesterday. Uh, that didn't happen, so they're still over there waiting. Actually, down in the Mexican city of Reynosa, across from McAllen, down in the uh, Rio Grande Valley, there are camps set up with thousands of migrants who are waiting to cross. Tent cities, essentially, set up over there. So uh, what they decide to do remains to be seen in recent days, but I would not be surprised if they decide to just cross anyways. Are they, are they a lot of them Haitians? I mean, you mentioned that under Title 42, you can be sent back, for instance, to Haiti. Would that mean that the Haitians are waiting? There, there were well over a thousand Haitians waiting in Nuevo Laredo. They have since moved. We don't know where they went to. But yes, all along the border, there are large numbers of Haitians who are crossing in multiple different sectors. Typically, it's been up here in the Del Rio sector. Uh, there are some down in the Rio Grande Valley. But yes, there are Haitians uh, on the Mexican side who are waiting to cross. This time of year, we're getting into the summer where it's going to be, I'm sure it's very hot where you are now already. And it's, uh, you know, are you seeing or is there concern migrants coming in that kind of weather? It gets incredibly hot. It was the, the highest numbers we saw last year were in the middle of summer in August and July. Uh, and yeah, my, I mean, migrants have been dying in the open desert. When we visited the Big Bend sector just last week, we came across the corpse of a 28-year-old Honduran woman in the open desert who died uh, in the elements. So that is absolutely a concern. But when the temperatures heat up, um, just like what we saw last year, the activity heats up as well. So we are anticipating, uh, we're going into the the highest activity months right now and we expect to see big big numbers going into the summer and you you still go down there are you still going down every couple of weeks a month to witness all this yes sir i am every every couple of weeks going down i think i've spent more than 200 days in texas since may of last year and so is it different at all now versus when you first started going or has it been the same constantly through the 200 days you've been there it's worse this it's worse this year than it was last year the numbers are significantly up compared to last year and last year set the all-time record so uh when fiscal year 2022 is done we could be pushing upwards of well over two million illegal crossings at our southern border and that does not even account for the gotaways there are more gotaways this year than there were last year um so it it, it the situation seems significantly worse this year Bill Malugin, Fox News national correspondent who's been spending a lot of time in Texas, joining us from Eagle Pass. Thanks very much for being here. Thanks for having me.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Guy Benson. Benson. What's on your mind? On Monday, the Central Intelligence Agency put out a press release announcing that two stars had been added to its memorial wall, which is located at the agency's headquarters in Langley, Virginia. The wall commemorates officers at the CIA who've given their lives in service. And as of this week, two more of those anonymous commemorations were chiseled into that wall. The total now stands at 139 stars. We don't know who these people are. We don't know if they were male or female, what their skin color was, what their background was. We don't know how they died, what they were doing, where they were serving. All we know is that they paid the ultimate sacrifice, pursuing a mission to keep the American people and the American homeland safe from foreign threats. They knew they would never get glory, even in death. Their work and their sacrifice would not make them household names, no matter how heroic their exploits. To those represented on that memorial, we say rest in peace and thank you. From a grateful nation, I'm Guy Benson. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.